You know, I wanted to follow up this week with the resurrection message because it's so exciting to me. Easter is the favorite time of the year. John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26 is a powerful scripture that I read often during the year and quote often. And it says that Jesus told Martha, we'll get into the story a little bit here. <clears throat> I've got a short sermon. Somebody say praise God. Yeah, uh, Jesus said, Jesus told her, okay? Now just look at those words, Jesus told her. Told who? He told Martha in context, but guess what he's telling us today too? He's telling he's and she's that are sitting here today, those watching online today, that Jesus is telling us. What is he telling us? He told her and he's telling us, I am. Say, I am. I am. You remember when Moses had the encounter with God in the, in the, on the mountain and he turned aside to see a bush that was burning but wasn't consumed? And what did God say when Moses said he gave his commission and he said, well, uh, Lord, uh, you know, who are you? Who, we don't even know your name. And uh, you remember what God said? God said, I am. He's the great I am. And I'm telling you today, the great I am is here today. He's in the midst of the people of God in this church. He's in the midst of the people of God watching online. He's in the midst of the people throughout this entire planet who are worshiping in spirit and in truth. The great I am is there. When the great I am is present and he is ever present in the lives of believers, anything is possible. Anything can happen because he is the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the hope of our resurrection. He raised Christ from the dead, the first fruits to rise from the dead. We who believe on him will be following after him into eternal life. I'm so glad that Jesus went on to say that anyone, say anyone, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. In other words, he doesn't deny the fact that these bodies in this lost world one day will pass away, whether by sickness or death or just old age. But one day or by accident, somehow each one of us, until Jesus returns and raptures the church, there's going to be a, an appointment with death and after this the judgment. But Jesus said, anyone who believes in me will live. You're going to live. Even after dying, you're going to come alive. You're going to be alive to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. And he goes on in verse 26 <clears throat> and declares that everyone, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. I don't know about you, but that's good news. You know what? I don't, I don't like to think about dying. Who likes to think about dying? You know, someone who's uh, sometimes depressed, but, you know, they need a resurrection spirit in their life to bring them back to hope that God wants to live inside the hearts of every person he's ever created, the hope of eternal life spent with God. And Jesus gives the promise, and God's promises are not as a man gives a promise. They are yes and amen. A man can lie, but God will never lie. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And he asked this question not just to Martha, but he asked the question to each and every person here today listening to this message or reading this scripture. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, Tim? Do you believe this, Helen? Do you believe this, Joe? Do you believe this? Do we believe what God has said? Do you believe what God has said? I want to take a look here. You know, if we talk about the resurrection and the life and speaking, it's Jesus Christ speaking. And, you know, Jesus answers the question about who he is. Like, who is God? Who is Christ? Jesus answers this question by saying through the scriptures, through the book of John, beginning with verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am, say I am, I am the bread of life. He's the bread that came down from heaven. He's the true bread of life. I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. 
He's the light in a dark world. Sometimes in our lives, we may go through darkness in situations, issues that we face in this life. We may get discouraged and we may be down. We may even get depressed, but we're not knocked out like the Apostle Paul said. We can get up because we have resurrection power. We don't have to walk in darkness because Jesus is the light of the world and he has sent his word to us so that it might be a light unto our path. When we're going through dark times, we don't know which way we're going. He is our GPS. He is our light in the darkness. Jesus also said that I am the door. Forgive my spelling error. I just noticed that. I am the door. He's the door that leads to eternal life. He's the door that leads to God. He's the door, the only way that we can find God. He is also in John chapter 10, verse 11, the good shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. We belong to him. You know, the Bible says, the psalmist said, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, he owns the sheep as well. And we are the sheep of his pasture. We are those who have been redeemed. We have been bought with his blood. We have the spirit of Christ inside of us, the hope of glory. And we are the sheep of his pasture. Sometimes sheep do dumb things. In fact, my nephew, many years ago when he was in <clears throat> a young man, a teenager, uh, he worked uh, with a local farmer in Excelsior Springs, Missouri, who was a sheep farmer, and he got to know sheep, and he started his own little herd up on his mom and dad's little farm, and he took care of the sheep. And you know what I found out from him? It, sheep are really dumb. They, they wander off. They don't know where they're going. They just eat, and they follow a pathway where the grass is green. You know, they, they don't realize they're wandering off into danger. They don't realize the dumb things they're doing, and therefore it takes a shepherd to lead the sheep into green pastures. It takes a shepherd to protect them from themselves, not just from their enemies, from the wolves and the bears and the other wildlife that would come after them, coyotes, but to protect them from themselves because sometimes sheep are their own worst enemies. And isn't that just like the people of God sometimes? We do some strange things. We go down some strange paths and we're just kind of meandering around and God says, hey, hey, hey. He gets that shepherd staff out and he gets that crook out and he pulls us back into where we need to be. How many aren't you glad that Jesus is the good shepherd? Aren't you glad that he leads, listen to this, leads his sheep, he doesn't drive us. You know, when you have cattle, you drive cattle. When you have sheep, you lead them. You, they, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, they know my voice. And we hear his voice. And he leads and guides us. You know, sometimes we don't like what he's telling us, but we need to hear it. How many, how, how many has the Holy Spirit ever told you something about yourself that you didn't really want to hear? And sometimes God uses somebody else to tell you that. And you say, well, thank you, God. Thanks a lot. I didn't need that. Somebody say amen. Is it just me? It's everybody. So Jesus is the good shepherd. I'm glad he's a good shepherd. I'm glad he doesn't abandon the sheep. I'm glad he cares about the sheep. I'm glad he fights for the sheep. I'm glad he protects the sheep. I'm glad he is the good shepherd. Jesus also said in John chapter 14, 6, that I am the way. The truth and the life, no man comes to the Father except through me. He indicated telling us something we really needed to hear, something that this culture doesn't like to hear, is that there is only one way to God. There's only one way to heaven. It is through Jesus Christ and his sacrificial uh, offering on the cross of Christ, on the cross of Calvary. His shed blood was the only atonement made, provided by God for the atonement for sin. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the true vine, he says in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. The true vine, the real deal. The, the, the real deal, he's the true vine. 
And, uh, you know, what do all these statements of identity mean? What do they mean? Jesus is identifying and he's showing the different different aspects of who he is and how he operates, how he relates to the church, to the people of God, the people of covenant. It really means that, I think, first of all, is that it points out to me that he is, Christ is, the greatest of all personalities. Of all the people from all the way back into the Garden of Eden that God created Adam and Eve, the second Adam, Christ Jesus, as Paul refers to him in Romans, is the greatest personality of all time. There is none that compares with him. None that compares with him. He is the greatest of all personalities. And Jesus said, I am, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. When Moses heard God say, I am is my name, I am, I am, Jesus fulfilled every part of who God is. So the background of the scene here that I told you we'd get to is in John chapter 11, is that the enemies of Jesus had been trying to kill Jesus for some time after he declared his, his deity to them. They felt like he had blasphemed and they didn't like him anyway. They were jealous of all the following uh, people that were following him in his ministry, jealous of their loyalty to Christ, jealous that he was doing miracles. I mean, who knows what kind of uh, hatred that they had in their hearts for Jesus, except it was manifest in wanting to murder him, which eventually they were able to do because Christ, how much you hear this, allowed his life to be sacrificed. He said, no one takes my life, I give it freely. They thought they had taken it. Jesus said, no, you couldn't do it unless I let you do it. Somebody say amen. That he, he gave his life freely for us to die on the cross for our sins, to redeem us by the precious blood that he would shed there. Jesus extended his ministry, expanded his ministry beyond the Jordan, resulting in many more converts, people coming to him. You know, Jesus, when he preached, he preached to the poor, not just the poor in economic standards, but the poor in spirit, those who were bankrupt morally, those who had been rejected by culture and by society for the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and, and everyone else of low repute. Jesus died for them. He preached the gospel to them, and many of them came were attracted to him. Those who were demon-possessed got found freedom. Those who were blind got healed. Those who were deaf opened their ears. Those even who died, like Lazarus that we're going to read about, were resurrected from the dead. Jesus' ministry, as he went beyond wherever it expanded, it resulted in people turning to God in droves. This message uh, arrives from Bethany, a message from some loved ones, some very close associates with Jesus, from Mary and Martha, who sent a message to him and said that your friend, our brother Lazarus, is sick. He's very sick. And they wanted him, the message was that you need to come right away because he's not just down with a cold. He doesn't have just a little bit of a virus. He doesn't have something just simple that he can get over with with just a little bit of care. But he is really sick, Jesus. He's sick unto death. And what did Jesus do? Did Jesus get up and leave right away? No. What did he do? He waited two more days. It took two days for him to get the message to him. He waited a little bit longer. And, and so what happens is he dies. Lazarus dies. And, and Jesus tells his disciples, well, he sleeps. And his disciples said, well, you know, if he sleeps, Jesus, that's good. When you're sick, you need rest. And he says, no, no. Then he told them plainly, he's dead. He died. And, well, you know, what's the big hurry now, Jesus? And so Jesus made a beeline back to Bethany to meet up with the family. And, and here's what happens here. He, he arrives. Martha's there and greets him. Mary's beside herself in grief. There's 
professional grievers and friends of the family are there that are weeping and crying. And, and Jesus arrives on the scene and Martha goes out to meet him. She tells Jesus this. Maybe you've told this to Jesus before. <clears throat> Jesus, if only you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Now think about that. If only you'd been here. How many times do we as the children of God, when we go through a tough time and circumstances get out of our control and, and we feel like the helpless victim and the whole time this is happening, we've been crying out to God for relief and for help. I don't know about you, but I, I've done that over the years. I remember the last church I was at, we're going through uh, some difficulty, and I went to that church. It was a, we talked Saturday at our men's meeting about uh, trying to figure out which church didn't have windows, and that church didn't have any windows and, uh, in the worship center anyway. And I went in there, and I was just praying up a storm, and it felt like, have you ever, when you prayed, ever felt like the heavens are brass? Have you, have you ever felt, some people, the old timers, you call that a dry spell when you just don't feel the presence of God? Anybody there? And, and you just, you pray and you pray, but you feel like the prayers are just bouncing off a brass ceiling and falling to the ground. Can I tell you that when you believe that, you're believing a lie? Right. That God not only hears your prayers, but God sees every tear that you shed. That God not only hears your prayers, but he keeps them in bowls like incense. That he hears your prayers and he knows exactly what you're going through. Jesus knew he knew what Martha and Mary were going through. He knew what Lazarus was going through. Jesus said, the works of my father I do. The things my father says to speak, I speak. Jesus was right on time. Can I tell you something What I've learned over the years? Is that when I think Jesus is late, coming to the issue, coming to the situation, and I'm a little frustrated with him, but, you know, he's God, so you don't really tell him, hey, what's up with you? But your heart, Martha was, she was hurting. Her brother, gone. And Jesus could have stopped it. He could have healed him. Jesus, if only you'd come. And, and, and I've said similar things to the Lord. Lord, if you only you showed up on time. But can I tell you, Peter said, talking about the Lord's second coming, the rapture of the church, he says, you know, he's, he's not late. It's a strategy, is what Peter was saying. It's a strategy. You know what the strategy is about waiting for the Lord to come? It's that more people can get saved before Jesus comes and closes that door. You know, God has a strategy, can I tell you, for your life? Even when you're going through difficult times, God has a strategy for your benefit and for your welfare. I've been involved in some prison ministry, know some people, even in this church, who've, who've gone to prison for making a, a bad mistake, and, and, you know, God met them right where they were, and they responded to his grace and mercy, and God had a strategy for bringing them out of that situation into his plans for their future. And whatever you're going through, God has a plan for you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's not late coming to the game. He's right on time. Right on time. And he shows up, and Jesus just tells Martha, you know, he, you know, uh, if only you'd been here. And, and Jesus just responds to her, hey, Martha, guess what? Good news. There's no good news. My brother's dead. Don't talk to me. How many know when you're hurting and you're grieving, 
people come and try to cheer you up, it's like, would you just stuff it? Something? It's like, you know, it's like you're hurting my ears. I'm in this mode of grief, and here you are trying to cheer me up. But Jesus, he doesn't care. He, because he cares, he does this. And he says, guess what? Your brother's going to rise again. Oh, thank you, Jesus. It doesn't take away my pain. It might make me feel a little better because I know that I'll see him again. And she, she just says, well, yeah, I know. I know. I know he's going to rise again. But that's going to be in the, end, the last time when, all, when the resurrection of the dead is for everybody. And, and, and can I just do Jesus responds back to her? And kind of a spoiler alert here. Things are going to turn out much better than Martha, you think, or you could hope for, or even imagine, because of who I am, because I'm the Son of God, because I'm the Christ, because I am the resurrection and the life. Things are going to turn out better than what you can imagine in the midst of your grief and your suffering and the midst of your loss and your pain, that things are going to turn out for your good. You know, we don't want to hear that when we're hurting. But Jesus speaks into the atmosphere and into the atmosphere of our heart and into the recesses of our mind, into our spirit, and he breathes, listen to me, breathes life with his word. Life with his word. I am the resurrection and the life. He holds the greatest of all power, Jesus does. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And what God has said, God will do. God is not a liar. He's not a man that he can lie. He is not slack concerning his promises. The promises of a God are yes and amen. Martha is trying to trust. She's doing her best in her grief and in her weeping. She's trying to trust in the words of Jesus. She's trying to believe them while she grieves. But her heart is broken and she's disappointed that Jesus didn't show up. I think that was the biggest pick of all. That Jesus, you knew that we sent for you and you didn't come. You waited two more days and now he's been dead four days disappointed. She holds on to the promise of the coming resurrection of all the righteous dead, but guess what? I'm deprived of my brother for the rest of my life. Can I tell you the resurrection of the dead? I alluded to it earlier in the introduction, but 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 is one of my very favorite passages in all the scriptures because of the hope and the promise that it gives to us. I am so thrilled and excited from the time I became a believer about the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ will return and come in the clouds of glory and he will rapture the dead in Christ from their graves and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him. I'm thrilled about that. Verse 13 says of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, and now dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know. Martha, we want you to know. If there's any Marthas here, we want you to know. What will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like those who have no hope? Now, let me tell you, it doesn't say so that you won't grieve because grieving is a part of loss. And I think there's been some well-meaning Christians who have tried to encourage people who have lost loved ones to say you shouldn't be grieving. And sometimes misquote scripture. The Bible says you shouldn't grieve, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says do not grieve like those who have no hope. But we all grieve when we lose a loved one. When my mother passed away, just listing one person in all the people who have gone on to heaven, 
I grieved and I was hurting and I was crushed. I was empty and I felt just tired and, and, and didn't know how to, how to, what to do with my grief except to comfort myself that I know one day I'll see her again. You know, someone very close to you maybe has passed away and the grief is there. Can I tell you the grief in my heart is still there? But I'm comforted that Jesus Christ said that anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. I am comforted by the words of this scripture and I do not grieve like those who have no hope because I know exactly where my mother is. I know exactly where all the loved ones are. All the loved ones, even from this church family who've gone on to be with the Lord, I know right where they're at. You know, that's why it's so much easier and so much lighter to do a funeral for someone of a child of God who you know that their track record of faithfulness to God was intact, that their faith in Christ was sure that they had been truly born again, that the spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead dwelled in their mortal body and continues to, and they will rise from the dead when Jesus returns. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve like those who have the hope of eternal life. For since we believe, he goes on to say in verse 14, that Jesus died and was raised to life again. We also believe when Jesus returns, God will, say God will. God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. This isn't Paul's opinion. This isn't his assessment of things. This isn't him trying to make people feel better. This is the word of God. We tell you this directly from the Lord that we who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself, the Lord himself, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves and then together, say together, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will always be with the Lord forever. So do what? Encourage each other with these words. Martha understood that one day there's going to be a resurrection of the righteous dead. But she was hurting because of the temporary loss of her brother. She was really hurting because she feels like Jesus really let me down. He really let me down. I have a, one of my younger siblings. When my mother passed away, she really was let down. Like, oh, kind of felt like mom should live forever. She should, you know, she should have fought this cancer. And it really hurt her, you know, she felt let down. Let down by the family, let down by my mother who made the decision that I'm going to go on to glory, I'm ready to go be Jesus. And, but she's hurting. See, why does she feel that? Because she's hurting. Is she a bad person? No. But she's hurting. I'll tell you what, when my wife had cancer, fourth stage cancer back, we first got married within a few years of our marriage, had one child, I was hurting and I was like, Jesus, what are you doing? You ever ask God that? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? This isn't right. Have you ever, have you been there before? Can I tell you that it is not a sin to share your heart and your emotions with the God who loves you? Amen. That, that he knows we're hurting. And when we say to him, it's not disrespectful. It's like, God, I just don't understand. I don't get it. 
It seems like you've abandoned me. It seems like you've taken away my hope. You've taken away my dreams, God. I had planned for this and this. Can I tell you? You know, my wife got miraculously healed, but some people don't. And, and I still wonder. I have questions that I want to ask God. When I go to heaven, it's like, God, I, can you explain to me all the things I don't understand? I think when we see him, we're going to know. And we're going to see that God had a strategy that was way beyond what we could even imagine. A strategy for our welfare, for our good, and not for our destruction. And I, I would, you know, I came to a place with my wife is sick. I said, okay, God, you can take her. You know, I don't want to see her suffer. And then he surprised me with a resurrection. See? Sometimes we're, I mean, that's what happened. Do I understand why? I don't understand. And I'm fully ordained in the assemblies of God. I don't have all the answers. All the whys, I don't get it. I, Pastor Carl sitting over here with much more experience than I, been in the ministry much longer than I. You don't understand all this either, do you? Yeah, we don't. Yeah. But we, you know what we do have? We can just cast our care on him. And, and that's what the resurrected Christ is. He brought hope to Martha uh, with, with the resurrection of the dead coming. Someday I'm going to ask the worship team to come back at this time. Uh, but you know what? Um, Jesus is going to do something in the here and now, for Martha, she's not expecting. She'd lost hope. Can I tell you something? When you lose hope, God is the restorer of hope. That he resurrects your dead hopes. He resurrects your dead dreams. I have experienced it over and over again through the years. And on this side of my experience, I can look back and I can look ahead and say, God, whatever the future is, I have hope. Because I know that you have a, listen to this, a track record of faithfulness. You're a God who doesn't change, you're immutable. That what you did yesterday on my behalf, you will do tomorrow. Somebody say amen. He's got your back. And so with Martha, she's going to be shocked. He's going to blow her mind. Uh, he, he's going to, what does he do? He's going to call Lazarus, who's been four days in the grave, and she says in the old King James, I love it, oh, Lord, by now he stinketh. You know, he's decaying. He's decayed. Maybe your dead dreams, your dead hopes are decaying. That, 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 that rot is setting in. And, and, and you think, well, they can't be resurrected. But guess what? God will blow your mind like he blew her mind. And Mary's and all those who were there. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. He had him roll away the stone. And he called this man back from the dead. This man stands up. He, I don't know how he did because I've seen pictures from scripture and from, from uh, uh, scholarly books and shows how there, he had to be coming to the door. But when Jesus says come to the door, you get there one way or another. Hey, you want a resurrection? Come to the door. You want a resurrection? Listen to his call. You want to wallow in your pain and your suffering? Then that's a choice, but I'd rather have the resurrection. That's what I want. So he hops to the door and Jesus, what did he say? You guys, loose him. Take the bandages off. Take the wrap off. Take the burial clothes off of him so that he can walk, so that he can talk. And that's the, body, and that's the job of the church. 
When somebody gets resurrected from the death and the dead of sin and death, it's up to the church to disciple them and help take the burial clothes off of them. That's what discipleship is called. He calls him from the grave, and the grave gives up the dead because the son of the living God, the prince of life, the God who helped create with the Father and the Son everything that we see, everything that we don't see, spoke into the atmosphere, and death had to obey. He gives the greatest promise of all, my last point, and that is that everyone, I don't tell you folks, I know you get tired of me repeating myself. I know you get tired of it, but say everyone. I love that word because it's all inclusive. It doesn't matter. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. It doesn't matter how, what kind of car you drive. It doesn't matter what your status is in the culture, whether you're important, affluent, influential or not. It, it doesn't matter. He just says, everyone who does what? Lives in me and believes in me will never die. Somebody once said, quote of this at funerals, life at its longest is short. How profound that is. The psalmist in his writings gives us that, you know, people may live 70, 80 years, maybe. Nobody's guaranteed that, right? Right? But gee, I read the obituaries. Somebody says, that's kind of morbid. No, I'm looking to see if there's anybody there who's lost a loved one that I care of, that I love in this, from this church, and I want to be there to comfort them. But I look at them, and I've noticed that, boy, especially this last year, there's been a lot of younger people passing away. Define younger. Some of you will say they're old. I say they're still young, because from my perspective, a 40- and 50-year-old is still pretty young. I had a daughter who celebrated her 40th birthday a few days ago, and she's, ah, oh, 40 years old. I said, man, I wish I was 40 years old again. Don't you wish you were 40, Pastor Curl, and know what you know now? Well, I tell you, we could really preach up a storm and know what we don't know if we knew it ahead of time. And, you know, but I said, man, I wish I was 40. Don't be discouraged about that. That's an exciting time. Those are good years. Those are golden years. Life at its longest is short. The psalmist gives us 70, 80. But Jesus, listen to this, Jesus promises life that will last throughout all eternity. Because even after you die, you will live. This life is given freely to those who freely trust in him, as the scriptures have said, who repent of their sin, believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead, and confess him as Lord and Savior. That's all you got to do. It's so simple. Even a caveman can do it. And I'm not making fun of cavemen. Somebody say, man, 